We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome into the Rotowire Fantasy Football Podcast. We are diving into the receivers. We, we've talked a lot about them, but we got two weeks to go, and there's still some movement, still some uh, order to be set as far as where these guys are going to go. So we're going to set the record on Drake London, Traylon Burks, the Ohio State guys, and tons more. Stay tuned here on the Rotowire Fantasy Football Podcast. Welcome on in, Roadwire Fantasy Football Podcast. I'm your host, John McKechnie, joined as always by Mario Puig. We are two weeks away from the first round of the NFL draft. So we're really in crunch time here. And of course, the one of the bigger fantasy storylines for this draft, quarterback a little bit weak, uh, running back, we're probably not going to see one go in the first round, tight end. Kind of the same deal, but receiver. It's another loaded class. Again, we're, we're getting totally spoiled by by these ridiculous groups of receivers that seem to be coming out every single year, dating back to like 2018, uh, it feels like. But we got a lot to get to, Mario. Uh, you just recently put up a uh, article over on rotowire.com. You can check it out. No paywall, I believe. Correct. And you're breaking down Drake London, You and you and you kind of – uh, measure him between two endpoints, the Keel Harry end of the spectrum and the Mike Evans uh, end of the spectrum. Obviously, the Evans one, a lot more sunny of an outcome. Maybe London falls somewhere in the middle is kind of what some, some of your conclusions were, but I, I, I won't speak on them for you. So give us your, your kind of breakdown, your methodology and, and you know what you were looking to find when breaking down Drake London in this context and what you did find. Yeah, so I was talking about and Keel Harry and Mike Evans, um, basically because they're all three j- big receivers of, of different sort, but they all fit into that bucket of just guys who are way bigger than almost all other receivers, uh, all of, almost all other receiver prospects. And there's even some athletic similarities between them. Like uh, N. Keel Harry ran a 4-5-3-40 at the Combine at 228, I think, and Evans ran a 4-5-3 the same time at 231 so he's only three pounds heavier and yet ran the same 40 time as a or sorry Harry's only three pounds lighter than Evans ran the same 40 time and yet you don't seem to see him threatening defenses at all you know it's like he's going out there just kind of running into the corner of 
falling over, whereas Evans is very graceful with that athleticism, you know, like you, you see him play. And for split seconds when he's running routes, you can trick yourself almost into thinking that he's someone else. Like when you're when you're watching him, you, you can almost think like that. That's some six uh, two guy uh, when he, when he's like running a slant, and then when he stands up fully again, like oh no, that's Mike Evans. Whereas when you watch N. Kill Harry, he always looks more like uh, there's this guy who played receiver for the Lions and the Cowboys a long time ago, Roy Williams. And oh man, he was he was like a freak athlete, uh, you know, and he overall human terms like functional football athleticism apparently not so much but he was one of those guys who was just you know freakishly fast and big and he dominated at texas uh even had a little success in the nfl too uh early on but um when you watch him run he looks more like and kill harry like very uh high like i don't know what you'd call it like the, the weight that he carries is like bound so high in his body and it kind of keeps him like barrel chested and upright all the time and I just kind of looked at those two and and uh, and Kill Harry and Mike Evans that is and, and kind of wondered why things could turn out so differently, uh, especially when it's you know in Evans and Harry's case, it's like these these guys have the same speed and and you know mass basically to work with, and uh, one is just completely useless in the NFL. So when I looked at London, it, it was uh, sorry when I looked at Harry relative to London, that was partially informed because you see a lot of concern on uh, Twitter and I guess just general draft commentary that. Drake London's too dependent on contested catches and you hear comparisons uh, on those grounds to guys like Enkil Harry and JJ Ortega Whiteside. Um, I didn't talk about Ortega Whiteside in this one, but uh, that's basically just because I thought he by every measure uh, was a lesser prospect than Enkil Harry. So I thought it'd be kind of redundant to go through this and say like, and also by the way, you know, London is better. The point of the article is basically like, London will be different than Enkil Harry. He won't have the negative result in the NFL that Harry did. And um, I, I guess it would be redundant to go like, and also in each individual case, he's better than Ortega Whiteside. Like it's just kind of implied. Um, sure. But the, but the concerns there are, are, are totally reasonable because it is true that when you watch Drake London's tape, you see a lot of these plays where he's high pointing the ball and there's, there's another corner who's kind of going for the ball at the same time. And he makes those catches in college, of course, they, they, he was uh, all three years just dominating. But it's fair to look at a case like Harry and say, well, he dominated at Arizona State. Uh, he's, he's even athletic. Uh, he's more athletic than uh, London is. And yet, uh, you know, it's it's just not showing up quite as much, I think, because of, of those like aesthetic differences. And um, it's it's uh, it's not just that, but like in the production, like all the all the standards of, of production evaluation that would say Ankiel Harry is like a top prospect in the NFL. The same is true for London and more in every case. Like it's, mm-hmm. it's, it's possible that London fails in the NFL and isn't very good, but he's not actually the same as Harry in the first place. Like there's, there's a certain set of things they have in common, but um, production wise, they actually were never truly similar beyond being some version of very good. And uh, I think when you watch the, the, the way those plays happen and compare them, uh, these these so-called contested catches in both of their parts, I think they look very different. Like in, in Harry's contested catches, you see a lot more just clobbering guys, like running into the guy at the catch point and just crushing this, uh you know, 190-pound Pac-12 corner. Yes, you, you described him as a burly person on uh, on the field in your article. I enjoyed that. Yes, it's, <laughs> it's, uh, it's like the first, I guess, word that pops into my mind when I'm watching Harry run. It's just like, looks like he's, 
carrying some logs or something and, and he's like <laughs> he's doing the barbarian. It's like it's easy for him, but he's carrying these huge logs all the time and running with them, it looks like. Uh whereas with London, uh you, you see a lot of times where you it's it's more like the Evans thing. You see him in his routes and you think, Oh, that guy can't be very big, but then when the ball is in the air, all of a sudden he is. Yeah, I I I went ahead and you know Part of prepping for this show, I went back and, and looked a little bit more at London's tape this morning, and I definitely saw the point you were making about where where London can kind of at once be this you know kind of technically refined route runner who who can generate separation on his own, and then also uh, be someone that that can just physically dominate at this catch point and you know shield his body for, from corners all that good stuff. There, there's one play that really kind of like crystallized that I thought um, against Washington state, he makes this play where he kind of gets skinny between a couple of defenders, but then, and then he makes the catch and then he gets bigger and just pulls them over into the, into the end zone. So like, was I that the that one that where was... he was on the left side of the field and like, it kind of looked like a slant, like inward route. And he, he, uh, he like shifted, he like did us a, like a, what is that? like a Euro step or something almost to the right and caught it. And yeah, that, that was a sick play. And you see that all the time. And I don't know if it has to do with his basketball background, but it, I guess that wouldn't be the most shocking thing. And and it right. is, it's quickly apparent when you watch London, he does stuff like that uh, pretty regularly that that wasn't just like a one-off trick. And he, that's a rare thing to see in receivers generally, and especially ones as big as him. Yeah, totally. So like that, that definitely stood out to me. And, you know, after, after reading your article and, and going back like that, that's something that you don't really see um, from, from too many prospects. And, you know, I think you also made a good point about London's age and, and like his ability to hit the ground running at USC, uh, despite playing alongside, you know, future pros like, like Michael Pittman, like Amon Ross St. Brown. And, you know, he's kind of like doing double duty. Like he, he was going to play basketball at USC, uh, later, later in that semester, and for for him to just still be able to, you know, get out there freshman year, loaded offense, loaded receiving core, much older guys, and still, you know, kind of hold more than just hold his own. He didn't have like the biggest target share, but you know, on a per target basis, he was great right away. Yeah, and that's that's actually um, maybe the most notable difference between the production of London and Harry is that. Uh, like Harry's production in his sophomore and junior years were way above the Arizona state baseline with usage shares that conventionally correlate very reliably to NFL success. Uh, but his freshman year, he was below the Arizona state baseline. And this is at once forgivable uh, a, because he took up the leading target volume and uh, B like there's other cases of true freshman receivers struck struggling uh, to keep up with veterans that they're playing with. And like Rashad Bateman was one, he was below the Minnesota baseline his freshman year, but the volume was more reflective of, of what he, uh, you know, would turn out to be in that case than the efficiency. So you forgive those, those inefficient freshmen usually. And Harry looked like he might've been one such case, especially after he did a, a good job at the combine, but London for, for whatever else went wrong with Harry, like there's, there's reason in that freshman year comparison to think that London is just something different than Harry. Maybe he fails still, but he's not quite the same thing that Harry was because like you said, it wasn't just that he showed up as a true freshman younger, by the way. And, and I know that that seems probably like a really stupid thing to talk about uh, to most people. Like he, London's 18 in one month and, and Harry's at 18 in uh, nine months or whatever. But when there's more than a half of a year difference between players, like normally that kind of uh, opens the question of whether they're even in the same class as at all. Like Harry might as well be thought of as almost like halfway to sophomore, you know, uh, rather than true freshman in the same sense that London was. 
And even with that, even without that age adjustment, which goes in London's favor, London's production was just conventionally stronger. And it wasn't just that he was playing against uh, alongside NFL receivers, uh, not just Michael Pittman and Amon Ross St. Brown, but even Tyler Vaughn's who's been hanging around on practice squads. Vaughn's is more than four years older than London. And uh, Pittman is nearly four years older than London. Amon Ross St. Brown is nearly two years older than London. So it could be, it is certainly possible that London is not a good NFL player, but I can't remember the last time a player was, you know, conclusively more productive than multiple proven NFL talents like that. Uh, better at production, you know, by, by not just a little bit, like a lot. He's, he's a much cleaner prospect than Pittman. Um, and he's a similar type as Pittman too. So that's kind of a useful instruction. I think like Amon Ross and Brown, it's like, they're so different, you know, can't really just assume London uh, can do things that St. Brown can. Uh, they, they play basically different positions, but right. London can do everything Pittman can and more. And Pittman has already shown that he's some level of useful, even though he can't do everything London can do, or, you know, at least I assume. Right. So, I mean, if we, you know, if you take the, I think the Pittman ba- baseline is an interesting detail because, you know, he hasn't had great quarterback play through the, the first couple of years of his career, but he's a, a bigger guy, obviously played in the same offense as uh, London way back when. Um, sim- similar kind of aesthetic, but I, I still feel like London might be a little bit more re- ready to roll and, and has a little bit more like projectable growth to his game as opposed to Pittman. Yeah, Pittman might be m- like faster, actually, but uh, I think it's more like it's, I think it's one of those things that even though Pittman can outrun London in the 40, or I assume he can anyway, uh, it's like London, uh, London can run um, like all the applicable routes faster. You know, like he can't run the race as fast, but he can run the obstacle course faster. Ah, I like that comparison. I just watched a, a video this morning of a bulldog running an obstacle course, and <laughs> uh, it was it really made my morning. Um, speaking of uh, Pittman, did you know that he has is he sort of has a St. Brown esque family where he has a, a younger brother who's in college who's looks oh, right. so much uh, so much different, Micah Pittman. But he's he's a totally yeah, yeah. different type of receiver, so it it is sort of like you know the the difference between equanimia St. Brown also, and, and uh, St. Brown. Also, the uh, I guess we we were closing in on a uh, some kind of theory about dad's biceps. Uh, yes. Because, uh, okay, there's something here. The John Brown, that's his name, right? The St. Brown guy, like he's mm-hmm. he's uh, he's 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 like one of those steroid lit weightlifter guys, right? Oh, I mean, like, and, yeah, uh, if you look up a picture, he's like Mr. Universe, I think. And, and the running back, Pittman, was always noted for having, like, unreasonably heavy curl muscles. Yes. Like he, he was, like, listed at, like, 210, but it, there was about 80 pounds in his arms. <laughs> it, it looked like, yeah, just like like a giant russet potato was, like, shoved in there. It's just a giant bicep. But, yeah. All, so, yeah, uh, if, we, if we see any – if we find any uh, wide receiver – prospects and, and there's intel that their their dads uh have, have massive biceps i don't think shoulders will work i don't think triceps either it's like it's got to be ideally those guys with those uh really grotesque like six foot biceps you know from doing that one weird steroid like yep. that's the next megatron the guy who's that guy's son okay so that that's noted for the you know the 2026 uh Debbie class um yes all right so let We'll table We're that scouting for- dads now. Sorry. <laughs> I mean, that's how, that's how deep we get on this show, you know? Um, but anything else to, to add on to, on to London after, after studying him, you know, in more of a deep dive sort of way, 
do you do you come away with him as your wide receiver one? I'm actually not taking a position on that just because I can't really tell if I think any of them are better than the other for sure. And by any of them, I mean um, my top three is almost certainly I, – I think I have a top three at this point, and I think it's okay. London, Jamison Williams, and Chris Olave. Um, that's not because I'm just trying to push aside Garrett Wilson and Traylon Burks. They're conventionally in that same thing. And, and outside of my own rankings, I would guess all five of those guys are kind of in that you know hunt right now. Um, but London, I think, is justifiable as the first receiver taken. And just the question of whether you take him or a guy, a, a speedier player like Williams or Olave, I guess, just comes down to where you need the help. Like if you, if you already have two fast guys at your outside spots and you need someone bigger to, to move the chains, maybe that team should take London and, and maybe a team like the Chargers, a team like the Chargers should take Jamison Williams or Chris Olave. Like they definitely don't need another London. Uh, and for whatever it's worth, I actually think Keenan Allen might be the comparison, but I, I think London might be a better version uh, like London. Um, I, I'm comparing him to Allen specifically in the sense that Allen has been a high efficiency, high volume producer, even though he doesn't threaten downfield. And the concern with London, if there is any, is speed, lack of speed. So he's got his pro day. I guess it's supposed to finally happen tomorrow, Friday, April 15th. And, you know, maybe he maybe he tests pretty badly there. Uh, and by, by badly, I mean like um, four six or something like that. But as long as he doesn't run like in the four six five or worse kind of range, I think I still like him as a top fifteen pick. Like Keenan Allen, the four seven time you always hear is not true. He was running on a bad PCL at the time, so uh, he's not like four seven pro day slow, Keenan Allen. Um, but he might be four six pro day slow. And mm-hmm. if London is four six pro day slow, then. Uh, you know, he went, he does a lot of the same things as Allen. Like he's, he's a bigger receiver, but he wins with short area separation because he's, he's so good at understanding like defensive leverage and, and just route running in, in general. So I, th- I think that is, is my like median range comparison, which I, I guess that might be irresponsibly optimistic too. Um, but I'll also say the, the Mike Evans comparisons that might've had a little while ago, uh, they, they don't really hold, but Mike Evans is, is pretty close to like Megatron category. And it's it's pretty unrealistic to ever you know see players in that range, and so so London's well short of that. Um, but I do think he's kind of like, you know, the answer to the question of like, what if Mike Evans was a little slower and smaller, and in, in, in practice, it's still a very good receiver. No, ex- exactly. So when you're talking about you know potential fits in, in teams, you know, it, T- Team X has plenty of big bodies already. So, so London probably wouldn't appeal to them so much. We, we've heard plenty. I think there's been a lot of discussion, a lot of thought that the first receiver off the board is likely barring a trade is likely going to be the jets at, at 10. And we, we know about their interest in Tyreek Hill um, before he obviously got traded to, to Miami. So do we think that, that London is probably out of play for, for New York at 10 do you think that they they go with someone who's a you know sm- a smaller, shiftier guy like like a Jamison Williams or a Chris or I'm sorry a Garrett Wilson? Yeah, I guess I'd be a little tiny bit surprised if the Jets took London, and and it's not because I don't think it's worth it. I just like you said, he's they already got Corey Davis, and I think Corey Davis is pretty good. So um, on the one hand, I, I I do think I uh, I think I would probably call. London a better prospect than Corey Davis was as a fifth overall pick, but that was, that was a weird draft. Um, London probably, and this would be terrible, obviously probably should go like 11 to Washington, which would uh, 
really suck. And uh, I, guess, I guess Michael Pittman already showed that you can survive to a certain extent with that idiot Carson Wentz as your quarterback, <laughs> but uh, still not where we want to be exactly. No, certainly not. So um, we'll, we'll, we'll hope. But yeah, Jameson Williams is, is getting more and more chatter to be the first receiver taken. I don't know what the quarterback market is exactly. Like where Malik Willis goes might hold some significant sway over uh, where these receivers go because if, if those court, if Pickett and Willis don't go in the first six picks, I don't know what other position is jumping that high. I mean, I guess there's, there could be offensive tackle. There's, there's some edge guys, of course, that are really good, but I don't think the teams picking there have much need for it. So I feel like there might be a surprise wide receiver pick in those first, uh, especially the first eight, like Atlanta, we really can't count out um, even though they're not like heavily linked uh, conventionally. Like they, they are really good bets. I think to take a receiver just because, I don't know. Like that's everybody. Everybody wants one. Like it's, it seems like we're getting not just hype on these guys that we've been talking about, but um, players that we were talking about is like fourth and fifth round picks a month ago are getting more and more second and third round chatter. Like guys like Alec Pierce with, with Cincinnati looks like he's going to be in the first two rounds or, or top 75 picks. Anyway, Christian Watson might be going for the first round. So I don't know if, if that, if those, if guys like that are going as high as that, then I think that London, Olave, Jamison Williams, Wilson, they might all be going a little higher than we thought all along too. So what, what should the Falcons do? You know, just, just using that <laughs> as a jumping off point, because you, it, you know, the joke has been made for, for several weeks now, but uh, you know, basically since, since the Ridley suspension, but and the, and the Russell Gage trade, of course, too. But you look at that depth chart. Olamide Zacchaeus, Demir Bird, Kaderil Hodge, Auden Tate, Frank Darby, Chad Hansen. He might be the best one of this group. Chad Hansen. Yes, he is their alpha. So, um, so I mean, it would it would make sense if they really believe in a receiver. But at the same time, like the Falcons need so many other things that – you know, they like, do. They should do. probably trade back, but the way they picked last, I mean, Pitts was a. Uh, it was probably like the wrong pick, but it was still a good one for yeah. reasons outside their control. Like Pitts is just that good. Everything else they did was just almost as if they were trying to do everything completely wrong. Like I, I don't know how much worse they could have done than they did. So I have no faith in them converting additional draft capital into any sort of benefit. Uh, so I guess for a team as stupid as them, even though they're very bad and need a lot, I don't particularly recommend trading down. Like they almost, they almost need just like the talent in general and in the range of the draft slot to bail them out from, from their own uh, senses. But hmm. uh, I think they could really use Stingley. I think Stingley, by the way, is clearly the, the best corner in the draft. And I don't understand why there's so much. Um, I, I don't even, I can't even find like a coherent reason why he should be slipping. People just kind of, it's just kind of get a, well, he's, you know, he's falling because like, well, what, what is you know, this like, like? What are you shaking your hands you, about? You get, you get bored. Uh, I think that, you know, after hearing about him being the best cornerback in college football from like his first snap back in 2019, it, you're just like, there, there's going to be like the extreme, you know, rush to anoint him and then the rush to tear him down once it's actually time for, for like his, you know, draft season. So, um, yeah, it's, you know, it's like a, overbearing uh like traditional parents turning their kids into goths it's like we've made people hear this stingley hype so long they go oh actually the uh six foot three 200 pound guy in the aac is better 
Yeah, yeah, no, yeah, it's got to be sauce. That's, that's the goth. Uh, that's becoming a goth in this analogy. <laughs> oh, that's strong. I, I like that one um, a lot. Um, yeah, St- Stingley is is a total stud. And I think so Gardner, at eight, yeah, he would make fine. sense at eight. God, they they have Terrell, of course, but they only have Terrell. Uh, the one thing is uh, they're never going to have leads so who cares no one's really you got to worry about your run defense before and and, you know worry about your ability to score points before you worry about your pass defense too much uh but yeah stingley would be a better pick than i don't know most of their other inclinations probably okay all right so that that checks out another uh long season incoming uh for the dirty birds just about 15 minutes from uh my my current residence but yeah you can smell them there I bet you can smell them from there, John, to be quite honest with you. You, you really can. Cheap concessions, though. I'll, I'll give them that. Um, looking elsewhere, so we, we've we've talked about London a fair bit, of course. Um, as you'll see on, on the ticker at the bottom of the screen, we got first wide receiver drafted odds. Garrett Wilson, uh, leader in the clubhouse at plus 130. Drake London, plus 175. Jamison Williams is the next at plus 500. Traylon Burks, plus 1,200. And then Chris Olave at plus 1,800. It, it you know, those are those are the the main uh, targets, as it were, because after that you get uh, Jahan Dotson and Christian Watson at, at plus eight K, respectively. That th- those odds over at uh, points bet. Um, so, if you were going to to put down on first receiver taken, what would your lean be, and who's someone from that group that you would fade definitely? Yeah, I guess it's going to sound funny after advocating for Drake London in that article and in this earlier part of the podcast, but I definitely would not bet on him for that one. Um, I guess Garrett Wilson's the favorite for a reason, but I wouldn't bet that either. But the just, the disclaimer there is I'm, I've, I'm just lower in general on Wilson than most people, I guess. I think he's really good, but I you see people trying to compare him to a Jamar Chase sort of effect, and I, that is ridiculous. you got to stop talking like this. Um, but uh, my favorite bets value-wise there – Jameson Williams is, is, I guess, my intersection of uh, favoritism and, and uh, you know, bet return value. And just the value aspect, I would say Olave, but it seems like Jameson Williams is ahead of Olave at this point. So uh, Jameson Williams is who I would pick there. Yeah, I like the I like the plus 500 for Jameson Williams. You know, if, if things continue to, to trend well for him as they appear to be, um, Oh, Burks, and, I'm fading too. London and Burks yeah. out of that sample, I think you can rule them out. Uh, I forget how, how deeply we, we got into Burks and, and the cooling of his market uh, in, in recent weeks, but can, can you make sense of it? Like, I mean, he was such like a lock to – I mean, we, we see guys mess up their draft stock at the Combine all the time, but it feels like you don't really see the consensus number one go to an afterthought after it the way the way that he did and I didn't think he was horrible at the combine by any means no he was safely above average at the combine and uh, the the reason that it sounded like there was so much criticism around him was just because the hopes were so high like the, especially when you heard the the reports about his mile per hour readings or whatever and his top speeds there was reason to think that he might run in the high four threes or something and it's a uh, I guess fair for someone to say like, well, you should just look at the field speed. Why would you even care about the testing speed at the combine? And I think you can care about both, which is why I'm not assuming Burks is slow or something. It's just that the, the four, five, five, you know, he ran that like, it's a real time that he ran at uh, 225 pounds. And so we can just kind of know, 
even if it's not worth anything, at least we can know. Runs a 455 when he's 225 pounds. And so you can just get an idea of how a player's speed is contingent on, you know, a certain build or, or a certain weight that they carry. And that's just helpful to know in general. And it's, it's, uh, it's not like conclusive that he's not fast because he ran a not fast 40, that there is something lost in the track form and, and the football gate, I guess is just totally different. Um, but other guys did run faster than that. And, and by a lot, and there were players who, were similarly productive as him in college. And so like Chris Olave was, was my number one receiver going into the year by quite a bit. And, and he did nothing to, to lose his spot to me, really. Uh, James Williams was unexpected emergence. Uh, sorry, Drake London was up there too with Olave. Um, and Burks produced about as well as all of those guys, but uh, some of them had a little bit better production. Like I would say London is in that group. And uh, the other ones are definitely fast and everybody's, looking for speed all the time. Uh, yeah, that's, that's absolutely true. And yeah, but maybe Burks does, doesn't present that, that same top end speed. And, you know, you have such a loaded class, you got to draw the line um, somewhere. Um, any other guys, you, you know, you, you mentioned some, some, some late, uh, <laughs> said, um, some recent hype guys uh, out there, as far as the receiver position is concerned, you know, what Watson out of North Dakota state, being bandied about as a potential uh, first round selection. How bad of an idea is that? I don't know if it's a truly bad idea, but I wouldn't do it. I think uh, Christian Watson does some things definitely well, uh, but it's basically just being six foot four and running a four, three, eight. And uh, there's a certain inherent utility to that. Uh, Namely, you can stretch the field and, you can probably block pretty well against if they try to put a fast corner on him, that fast corner is usually not in the similar weight range as Christian Watson. So he can get some good blocking matchups. And there's something to that. Like Christian Watson should be at least a, you know, 700 snap player in the NFL and, and be at least uh, breaking even in terms of uh, win replacement or whatever. But there are other players in this draft that you can say that about too. And those other players that we're comparing him to, especially if you're talking about guys like Burks and even Pickens, I would say it's like they have production that is much better to the point that it starts to indicate something about their skill sets as players. And so like the the combine measurements are all about the tools that they have to work with the athletic tools, but it doesn't tell them how much we uh, doesn't tell us how much they know or are able to do in terms of just football tasks. So the production is useful for, for kind of extracting that specific point and what concerns me about Watson is, um, as a fifth-year player, so he, he was a redshirt in all the seasons, he never became a dominant receiver in the North Dakota State offense. Uh, he was specifically just a downfield specialist kind of guy. And talk, uh, talking about the uh, FCS level, you know, six foot four, two oh eight, running a four three six, like yeah, you can really just run in a straight line, just run straight lines, post routes. And those guys aren't big and fast enough to deal with that every play. Yeah, Mo- Montana's not going to have much to say about that. Right. So, uh, like, he did well in that capacity, but it just doesn't mean that much that he did. And, and it would have been helpful to see him do a lot more to kind of generate more you know, benefit of the doubt, I guess. Um, but it's not just that he only caught those kinds of passes. It's that other receivers in his offense caught the kinds of passes that he didn't. So... By that, I mean to specifically mention, this is not like a Georgia Tech, uh, 
this is not like a Paul Johnson, Georgia Tech offense uh, where they're throwing the ball literally 15 times per game. And there is just one receiver, Stephen Hill, running like post routes all the time. It wasn't quite like that. Like they were run heavy, but there were other guys catching 10 yard slants and, you know, 12, 12 yard routes. And Watson was not that guy ever. So maybe he never did that because they never gave him the shot, but that would be weird, wouldn't it? Like, wouldn't it be weird for a team to have the option of giving a six foot four, 208 pound receiver with four, three, six speed by far the fastest player on the team, probably uh, it would be weird to say, like, I don't want to get him running after the catch. I don't mm-hmm. want to throw him slants. So it's possible. They said that it would just be very strange. Right. And, and, you know, I, I, I think, you can probably reason that North Dakota state knows what they're doing, given their dominance uh, at, at the FCS level. So, um, you know, I, I think, th- he's I think just they, Marquez, they've structured it right. Yeah. I think he's Marquez Valdez Scantling and in, in just to, to fine tune it a little bit, Marquez Valdez Scantling has been hanging around while struggling to catch 50% of his targets in the NFL. Uh, I know he's a deep threat, but that's, that's still not very good. I think what Christian Watson will basically be is the Marquez Valdez Scantling who is, close to good like I think Valdez Scanling is just kind of he can block against small corners and he can run a a fly in a post route he'll catch 50% of his passes Watson will be that and he'll catch like 55 56% I think which you know like 850 900 yard player at his peak I would guess so but you know in that in that sense we're we're projecting like a higher a dot for for him so like that there could be a little bit more like oomph per catch though uh, sorry, higher A dot in what sense? Like in the sense that, like, if he's going to be a fifty-five percent, you know, catch rate guy, you do. I mean, you would hope that. Oh, high, you mean just in, just higher in general? Sorry, I didn't yeah. know if you meant higher than Valdez Scantling and that. Oh uh, no, because Valdez Scantling's was pretty far downfield because he just couldn't do anything in the first fifteen yards. But uh, Valdez Scantling would even drop some of his wide open, far downfield plays. I think Watson will at least be a guy who doesn't screw up that play. Like he doesn't have bad hands like Valdez Scantling. Valdez Scantling has some of the worst hands you'll ever see. And uh, Watson, if he's just average in that capacity, will still be way better than him. Okay. All right. So that that definitely makes sense. Good. Good. But, but the first round talk is crazy. He should be going in like the late second or third or like wherever Alec Pierce is going. Okay. So uh, before we get over to to finishing out this point, got a quick message from our friends over at Blue Wire. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. 
And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. So among the, those second round receivers are, um, where theoretically Watson probably should end up, you know, you talked about Alec Pierce. He's probably not, a, you know, a top 40 guy, but, you know, probably going it within the, the first two rounds. Anyone else that, that you think could be like a, a little bit of a late riser? Do you think it, it's too late for, for that type of and too much of, of the pro days in the combine have, have been decided to where that there isn't anyone else that we're going to like kind of invent a, as like a, a late sleeper, late riser? Well, at, this, at this point, any changes are probably going to be due to teams uh, reacting to their intel or what they think is intel. And, uh, you know, they got their grades or whatever, and now they're trying to guess what they think the market is so they can try to have an idea who's going to be available at what picks and stuff like that. And sometimes when those things move along, that's when you'll all of a sudden hear like two days before the draft, uh, you know, maybe, maybe it's even someone like as rock solid as Jake Glazer will just come out and say like, Oh, teams are going to take this guy at the top, you know, 30 and no, everyone else was talking about fourth round. Like he could come out and say like Taekwon Thornton's going in the first round, like that kind of thing could happen. It wouldn't be that shocking depending on, what kinds of things teams are, are trying to game out, you know? Um, but uh, as far, as far as that category where um, unexpectedly high, I guess, I think we anticipate players like Jahan Dotson and George Pickens enough that they're not really qualifying, but they should go high. Like those two could both go in the first round, even if those other guys go like, there could be like seven first round receivers or something stupid like that. So um, it's, it's hard everybody's like so high in the first place. It's going to be kind of hard for anyone to sneak up on us, but I guess to be fair, Watson could be one of them. I would say Khalil Shakir is a pretty compelling prospect, but it doesn't seem like he has as much hype as someone like Sky Moore, who I grade the same as Shakir, but uh, Moore is a, is a lot more in demand. It seems like um, I'm a bit of a truther for Taekwon Thornton and Bo Melton, but uh, Bo Melton from Rutgers, but um, I think they're both probably headed for like the third round going maybe around where Pierce does something like that. And then I think after that group, you probably get a bit of a drop off, both in terms of like prospect quality and uh, the demand. Like, I guess I guess you might expect someone like John Mechie to go after that, but I don't like him at all. I think he's I, I, would, I don't even know if I would draft him. So no. uh, I think I think that's kind of the group like David Bell. He he I think he'll be fine. But he didn't test well enough to go high anymore, so he's not going to sneak up on us. It's, it's got to be, I guess, like Thornton. Uh, some people will think Pierce was a surprise, but uh, Pierce to the top 75 seems like a, a pretty solid bet. Okay. All right. So, yeah, the, I think we're looking at guys with, with those standout, you know, kind of 
ridiculous rare traits like Taekwon Thornton, Taekwon Thornton's speed, you know, could be something that, that, you know, gets teams, you know, over their skis a little bit. Yeah. I guess it wouldn't be shocking either. If uh, Calvin Austin went surprisingly high, I wouldn't do it. I think the team that does it will. Uh, well, well I, yeah. I mean, you, you get, you're just uh, turning in your least miles Boykin for a, 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 a least Kevin Austin. Like that's, Oh, hard, sorry. I meant um, uh, uh, Calvin oh, Austin, the Memphis. Yeah, Memphis one. Yeah. So, like, okay. I can see some stupid, to be clear, team thinking, like, oh, we're going to get him because he's the next Tyreek Hill. Like, uh, I think he's more he's like the next... Grant. Yeah. Like, uh, there's this there's this thing going around about how uh, the closest objective combine athlete to Tyreek Hill uh, is Calvin Austin. And that's just nonsense because they're the, like, Calvin Austin is, is an inch shorter and 15 pounds lighter like mm-hmm. who's 15 pounds lighter than another player and in the same category as that like you gotta be like you gotta be talking like heights of six foot ten before that kind of pound difference doesn't matter and when you're talking five seven it sure as hell does so yes. i don't think anybody's i think uh sean mcveigh will take calvin austin way higher than anyone thinks because he took two two out well and that, that's a they're similarly stupid premises yeah, no, hundred percent. Sorry, Austin's uh, fine. He's a way better prospect than Tutu, but, but neither belongs in the first four rounds. No, no, sir. Um, one last receiver that that I want to touch on, and then I, I want to finish out with your latest uh, speculations on, on what the Jags may or may not do uh, with the first pick. But you know, Justin Ross is someone who I think has kind of fallen off a lot of the radars, and and you know, understandably, you know. The combine that the lack of production his last season, even though we, we've kind of established that he was still, you know, the best receiver on, on Clemson, he was much better than than the baseline of that team. The baseline very low, of course, but I think we're, we're starting to see where where the fault of that was, and it certainly uh, wasn't Justin Ross. But the injury concerns, uh, the lack of you know stamped uh, uh, legit uh, time uh, workout metrics, it just feels. I, like, what do you do with Ross at, at this point? Like, is he someone that you you would even take a flyer on in, in you know, first-year player drafts? Like, what, what do you do with him at this stage? He's definitely worth a flyer, but I would put him safely behind. Uh, I, I'm only grouping them together because they're both guys who, like, had really high valuations in the recent past and have fallen in the past couple months. But David Bell... I would keep David Bell ahead of Justin Ross, even even though Bell has some similar concerns because Bell doesn't have the medical red flags that Ross might have in addition to everything else. And he might have a red flag over his spine. And more recently, he might have a red flag over his foot, I guess. And sorry, mm-hmm. I I, uh, I don't even know if I should be mentioning that because I, I haven't like followed it up closely enough to know for certain. But it, it sounds like he might have had some kind of foot thing at his pro day. So... I guess I, sh- I guess we should have. Uh, I guess I should have followed up on this after mentioning how he had the bad pro day because it is possible that it's kind of like a Keenan Allen thing, uh, except uh, if Ross is running on a bad wheel, the, the the significance there is he is actually fast when healthy. Like Keenan Allen is not fast when healthy, but he's not four seven slow. It's possible that Ross is not four six four slow. It's possible he's more like a four four eight or something when he's healthy, but. Man, if if you gotta if you gotta take that leap of faith and you have to get over whatever you know concerns you might find looking into the spine issue, I guess I'd be surprised if he went before like uh, I don't know like the f- first few picks of the fourth round. 
Yeah, I think that that's probably a, a safer pro- projection for him at this stage. And, you know, the, the foot thing, like, you know, he, he played through uh, some foot uh, issues this past season. I think he might have like even had dealt with a little bit of hamstring, too. So, I mean, he it's been a while since we've seen fully fledged, fully healthy Justin Ross. Like I'm talking 2019. Yeah. And if he I don't know how this is possible, like I don't know how a, a player could be uh the four six four running player, and then the the true freshman player that Ross was like it just doesn't seem possible. So I don't know if I, I'm kind of inclined to believe the thing about his foot slowing him down because I, I just I guess I'll be in denial about it. I don't I don't know how it's possible to do what he did. Like if he's if he really is just Tim Patrick, how the hell is Tim Patrick as a true freshman uh, keeping stride with T Higgins who's a year older than him? The simulation just doesn't run. You know, it doesn't work. Mm-hmm. Uh, so maybe there's something amiss. I don't know. So, yeah, I, I just, I would love to see a, a simulation in which Justin Ross can be fully healthy because I mean, like, you know, after his true freshman season, like there, there was, there was him and there was the rest of the guys, as far as, you know, what, what those 2018, uh, freshmen looked like, obviously was unable to play in 2020, a little bit hampered this past season, but yeah, what his best is, is, as good or better than anyone's in this class. We just don't know if he'll ever get back to it. Yeah. I mean, it, excuse me, it is possible that he just wasn't ever as good as his true freshman year would, would lead us to believe. But the thing is, even if that's true, he could be, you know, quite a bit worse than we thought he would be. And he'd still be grading better right now than he is. So it's, it's a, there is a lot of smoke around him, but it is pretty jarring how, how far, uh, he, he's fallen, how far his valuation has fallen. And I, I think it's fair to to say, like, even if every one of those red flags is right on the mark, the fact that he was ever as highly valued as he was is is grounds for, you know, at least in whatever, the third round or something of of your rookie drafts. And I wouldn't bother with him in, in redraft or best ball or anything. But in Dynasty, it's like you're you're probably picking some somebody who's not going to do anything anyway. So you might as well take the one who, who we thought might've been uh, whatever the next great six, four fast guy would have been. Yeah. Okay. All right. So that makes sense. Good, good to know as, as far as, you know, getting your, your best ball uh, portfolios ready, probably, probably not someone that you need to get a uh, heavy uh, late round exposure to let's round things out. Let's talk a little bit more about the Jags. We don't have to go, too far into it, but um, obviously that they, they've made moves this off season that, that kind of complicate it, or, you know, at least put it up for debate when it comes to how they're going to go about that, this first overall selection. And there isn't a quarterback that is really worth taking at one, one. So like there aren't going to be a ton of suitors to, to go ahead and, and trade up. So obviously Trayvon Walker has uh, really, you know, skyrocketed up, up. He's, he's the second highest odds of anyone for being the first overall pick at plus 350. Aiden Hutchinson still hanging on as a favorite at minus 250. And Iki Iquanu, um out of NC State and Evan Neal, both 12, plus 1,200, plus 1,400 respectively. I know that they're bringing back Cam Robinson, but I, I also know that they've also, you know, kind of added to their edge personnel. So, it you know, when you look at the potential candidates, you know, which makes the most sense for, for the Jaguars? Uh I mean, honestly, I, I would say Stingley would make a lot of sense for them, but it doesn't seem like anyone's considering him. So, uh, 
And then even after Stingley, I would almost say, like, you guys should take one of the receivers. But that's not a consideration, apparently. So with that restricted list of options, I guess, yeah, one of the defensive ends, because they can't take a, a tackle at that third pick. Like, they, they're, they're paying Cam Robinson, and uh, they got two second-round picks competing at right tackle. So, like, where is this guy? Where is Evan Neal going to play if they draft him in it? The answer would seem to be, the bench, unless they like, I don't, I don't know if you can sign a guy after he signs the franchise tag. I don't, I don't feel like it's like the tender is more tradable before signing. I don't remember, but Robinson signed it, so it's like I don't, I don't know, I don't even know why they kept him. But since they did, I don't see how Neil or any of the other tackles is actually an option. So it's just the edge defenders that's an option at that point. And yeah, I guess if you're restricting yourself to that category, Hutchinson makes sense. Uh, I think. He doesn't make any more sense, though, than Walker or Thibodeau, really. But it, it seems like Thibodeau, for kind of like personality reasons, is kind of being uh, regarded as lesser th- than Walker and Hutchinson. So they both have projection issues. I mean, like with Hutchinson, you got the really good production in college. But A, he did not compete for production on a defense with as many other good players as Walker. And B, his defense wasn't as good as Walker's Georgia defense uh see he's not as conventionally strong as an athlete uh, as as walker is and i know people the, the general narrative you hear around hutchinson is like oh my god he's another jj watt did you see his three cone oh my god he's he's a something something sigma athlete and he is very athletic like he's he's a very athletic person for sure but we don't have any case studies of a six foot seven 260 pound defensive end thriving or doing anything in particular really in the nfl now the odds are that Hutchinson will be the first of that category and incidentally will be a good version, a good case study of that type. But we don't know. And in the meantime, and Walker, his production was not great, but it wasn't terrible either. And he's, he's competing for stats with like six other first round picks. Uh, I'm not saying that he's a slam dunk. I'm saying there's a degree of projection between Walker that's not that much uh, more than with Hutchinson and yet the narrative is that Hutchinson cannot fail and that Walker is like you know some half court shot and I don't see it that way right I think a a lot of people you know that especially after Walker kind of officially entered the discussion after the combine with with what he did you know checking in at at 6'5 272 running the 4'5 having the elite cone drill and the jumps like you know just pretty much off the chart uh, truly one of the best workouts in in recent memory um, but then I think that there's been sort of like a plexiglass effect where like it, it, the things have pushed back and people mention, you know, when they look at the film a little bit more and they look at the production and they don't see as, as many tools in the toolbox as far as like him getting to that athlete, elite athleticism. They, they don't really see that like the refined pass rush skills when it comes to Walker. Yeah. Uh, and, and I would believe those like I, I, I I am pretty high on him, even though I concede at the start, like, yeah, he doesn't have pass rush moves or things like that, but he is such a rare class of athlete that I think we have to keep in mind is that if he makes any improvement, the windfall from that will be greater than when almost any other player makes the same level of skill improvement. Like those tools are so loud that he just needs to, if he's, if he's an F in pass rush te- technique as a letter grade, then if he gets to D, that could be a double-digit sack player right there. If he gets to C, he could be a 15-sack player. 
Like he's got tools that are only comparable to players like uh, Adafe Owe and uh, Ezekiel Ansah, Cam Jordan. People don't uh, remember Montez Cam Jordan. Sweat. Well, Sweat's more um, – funny enough, Sweat's built more like Hutchinson. Like he's kind of like tall and skinny. Um, but there, there's like these class of guys who are who are like burly but also running those freak numbers. Like Walker – Walker's built like a 1990s uh, like strong side defensive end, but he's he's faster than all pretty much all the receivers from that area. You know, it's like he's <laughs> – He's so freakish. And the, the other thing I guess I want, I want to say about Walker quickly is he wasn't invisible on that defense or something. Like he had, he had like the second most tackles for loss, second most sacks. Uh, he was always like really close to the team leader. He just wasn't dominating like Miles Garrett did. And um, he'll never be that. He's not close to that uh, caliber of prospect. But Ezekiel Ansa didn't produce at all at BYU either. Like he, he had like half as many sacks as Kyle Van Noy and uh only play like a year and a half i know he was he he got to football late but the thing is like he came into the league with lesser tools than what walker has coming in uh he came out more raw than walker was at an older age than walker is and those tools were so loud that he still became like a one sack per game player before his health gave out basically his durability i should say gave Mm -hmm. out so I, I think there is like a worst case scenario where Walker is a disappointing player and a bust. But I think his worst case scenario, the absolute worst, is like Emmanuel Agba, who is like an average starter. Uh, I guess Clellan Farrell is like another nightmare thing that people raise. And like he had better production in college. And he wasn't a bad athlete exactly either. But the category of player that Walker is has not really failed. Like he, he might not be the finished product. He might not be good exactly right now. Like Rashawn Gary's another one. Like every, people said that guy was straight up bad at Michigan, and mm-hmm. he came into to the NFL with with crazy tools. And the Packers said, "We'll we'll try to turn you into something." And now he's probably still not that sharp technique and skill wise, you know. But he's becoming an above average starter anyway because the game is easier when you're that big and fast. Right, hundred percent. Yeah. So I, yeah, that, that Gary one is interesting because the the narrative what was so similar. He was. You know, people were just I've, people hated that guy. They were like, "This guy sucks." He's, he's never a scoundrel. A quarterback in his life doesn't love the game. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, um, I I think Walker, uh, Cam Jordan's the other thing too. Like Cam Jordan didn't put up sack numbers at California. Uh, people thought he was just like play, he, people thought he, he was riding the coattails of Tyson Alualu, and then he gets to the NFL and it's like, oh yeah, I guess we. When, when a guy's like 280 pounds and he's faster than our safeties, maybe we should just assume we can do something with that. <laughs> uh, fair assumption, um, in, indeed. Um, putting you on, on the spot here, any of these other like potential top 10 guys, um, you know, save for the, the, the quarterbacks, because, you know, that's kind of a different discussion where positional value is kind of like pushing them up the board. But any of these other guys that are getting talked about as, as locks to go in the top 10 that, uh, maybe you, you you're not as enthused about. Not really. I mean, I don't know enough about what's likely to happen to to say like what 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 is wrong there with the assumption. Like I I wouldn't take Sauce Gardner in the top ten ahead of Derek Stingley if I was these teams, but I can't really say it won't happen because I mm. have no idea, you know. But like that one's a weird one to me. I don't get it at all. Uh, Wish him the best, but I don't get it. Um, I guess um, guys like Evan Neal seem like a lock to go top five to me. So like, even more than Willis, like I projected Willis to go to the Lions at two, but I say 
Neil in the top five is more likely than Willis in the top five. So like him, I, I don't think is negotiable. Uh, I guess a is probably not going much later than that either. I guess the, I guess if we're talking guys who might crash the top 10 that aren't projected for it, I don't know anything about offensive line technique or whatever, but Trevor Penning, uh, he's, he's, pretty huge and really, really athletic at tackle. And some teams uh, really like guys like that. So I guess if there's someone who's going to crash the top 10, that isn't getting talked about that much. Uh, I, w- I think Penning might be someone who could do that. Okay. All right. So keep an eye there. Maybe Desmond Ritter. Yeah. I'll say first uh, Penning and second Ritter. I think uh, there's, I don't know if these are still up, but the, it was over under two and a half quarterbacks in the first round. And I would definitely take over. Um, I think it's more likely that like Desmond Ritter goes before Pickett than it is that only two quarterbacks go in the first round. Uh, so maybe the bet fails because Pickett falls to the second and Ritter goes ahead of him. But I think that's more likely than Ritter not going in the first at all. Well, then, then of course, uh, we, we know that uh, Sam Howell is totally going in the first round too, right? <laughs> you know, I can't, I'm joking, I mean, listeners. I don't know if we should joke. I mean, who 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 knows? I I am inclined to think he's more of a Will Greer category of prospect, but it only takes one team. I mean, there have been first round picks that all other 30, 31 teams said was stupid. That one team made it anyway. So can't count him out, I guess. Would it really shock you if like Pete Carroll trade if, if the Seahawks were dumb enough to give Pete Carroll like another mortgage to the future and he like traded back into the first to get Howell? After taking Sauce Gardner at ten, did that shock you? <laughs> no, gosh, no. Yeah, but we've been we've been kicking around the Seahawks a, a lot this off season, but uh, you know, kind of deserved. So until they uh, stop, we'll keep doing that. Yeah. yeah, the punishment will continue until. Um, anyway, I think that's going to wrap it up for us here on this edition of the RotoWire Fantasy Football Podcast. We'll be back again next Wednesday. So back to our kind of regularly. Uh, scheduled off-season time, and then we'll just be eight days away from the NFL draft. So looking forward to that. For Mario Puig, I'm John McKechnie. Thanks for listening to the Rotowire Fantasy Football Podcast. Try Rotowire today, free for 10 days. Get our premium tools, rankings, analysis, and breaking news alerts. No credit card required. Go to rotowire.com forward slash try. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.